Abbey Dental, sponsors of Women Today, for all aspects of today's dental care. Highly recommended throughout the Isle of Man. Fast am I, good afternoon. It's just gone six minutes past two. I'm Christy Dehaven and today we are back on the Conister Rock where we spend an hour sharing music and memories with some of our best-loved island personalities. And I'm on my very best behaviour today because sitting, I'm, I'm trying to sit up and uh, in single file or whatever you do uh, when you're at school, if that's possible, as opposite me is sitting one of my former, and I must say, favourite teachers. Of course, she is in my company, so I do need to say that anyway. But I'm joined on the rock today by someone who calls herself the product of a wise, steady Englishman from rural Shropshire and a lively, creative, artistic Manx girl. Those of us who've been fortunate to encounter Dillis Watson in her career years have mostly called her Miss. And I confess now that I'm probably still not 100% sure as to whether I should still be addressing her in that way myself. But seemingly simple one-word title, Miss, holds so much meaning. As a teacher to hundreds, if not thousands of students in a career in education that began in 1955 and continues today, Mrs Watson has helped shape the lives of so many young people. She's a teacher who manages to maintain that brilliant balance of respect and friendship and she delights in continuing to follow the progress of her students throughout their adult lives, staying in touch with many of them. And when I invited her to join me today, I made contact with some of my own former classmates and asked them for their thoughts on Mrs Watson. (laughs) They used phrases. Phrases like genuinely caring, hugely energetic, supportive, holistic educator (laughs) and, you like this one, fantastically flamboyant. Oh, isn't that lovely? But kind words. I know. Dillis Watson, first of all, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. It's Mm. it's been fabulous just catching Mm -hmm. up with you, let alone having you in the studio. Uh, I'm intrigued. Those phrases that I mentioned, so we had caring, energetic, supportive, fantastically flamboyant. Uh, Which one of those would you be most proud of? I'll say them all again and I'll concentrate. Genuinely caring, hugely energetic, supportive, holistic educator fantastically flamboyant. I think they're all absolutely wonderful. I'm deeply honoured that people have managed to produce such words. There were many more and I mm. will give you a list of them mm. when we finish and mm. don't worry they're all very positive. Mm. Do you recognise yourself in the in those words and phrases? Somebody once said I was high energy back in the day. Yes. I think you still are mm. to be fair. Mm. And genuinely interested. I'm so lucky in fact to have been in teaching. Uh, the family has a teaching career going right back to my grandmother who taught and went to college in the 19th century. My father taught over here at Douglas High School in the early days of the 20th century. And my daughter is teaching now in Oxfordshire. And one of my grandchildren hopes to teach eventually, and I teach. So it's a sort of in the family, you might say. And I love it. And I'm lucky to love what I'm doing because so many people don't and they get the Sunday night blues, which I've never had. Which is fantastic to hear. And mentioning of your family, um, I noticed in some of the notes you sent forward, you describe yourself as a daddy's girl. And uh, he, he was headmaster. He even started his own school at one point as well, didn't he? So was it sort of a given that you were going to follow in his footsteps then? He was an amazing man and I respected him hugely. He was very wise and uh, a, a quiet giant, became a head teacher. But he was very much respected and very much highly rated by all the HMIs. And yet he'd grown up on a farm, tenant farmer, grandfather and he had to cycle to the nearby grammar school to which he'd got a scholarship and they say that he used to do his homework minding the cows down something that was called a slang which was a sort of grassy path between hedges and I think that's a lovely image 
And it's probably also instilled in you that sort of love of the outdoors because you absolutely love nature as well, don't you? Your garden's very important to you. I, I do. Out a lot. Very, very much so, yes. So we had a wonderful time as children um, going on the farm there and going and collecting mushrooms and going and finding tadpoles in ponds and things. And I think I'm so lucky. I'm sorry for people who live totally in cities. I think you need to get out. If you if you did live in a city, though, you would have a fabulous sort of window box anyway. Exactly. I do have already my herb garden on my balcony, which is very <laughs> important, and I use them every day. Well done, that woman. Now, uh, you did. I have to ask you, though, of course, you've been in education all of your life. Mm. Did you enjoy school, and were there any teachers in particular that sort of stand out for you and really left their mark? Um, in school, I had a very, very nice, a very good primary school teacher primary education was so different because it was during the war and it was largely taught by women and the few men who came back were usually maimed or injured in the war so it was different secondary school level we were all rabbits and very good girls and we sat quietly and did as we were told and worked extremely hard um but there were some sort of fabulous teachers there. Have I mentioned any in my notes? Because I can't even remember whether I've mentioned any of the individual teachers. Not that, that spring to mind, but I mean, it, 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 when you think back to that time, though, do you think then it sort of was, was that also sort of where a sort of fascination in education came from? Did you think these people are I changing I just grew me? up with schools. You know, father used to walk to school every day. My brother walked to a different primary school and I half ran to my primary school. So it's just normal. That's what you do. And having started yeah, your career in education in 1955, you will have witnessed, obviously, some really quite dramatic changes, I'm sure, in the education system, presumably some for the better, some for the worse. What are some of the more sort of important changes that you've noticed? Well, provision has changed enormously. My very first teaching experience was before I went to university, uh, an unqualified teacher, as my grandmother was before she went off to college. And I had 48 children in my class in a very deprived downtown area, children from difficult homes whose fathers had returned from the war and would beat them. In those days, you smacked naughty children. The loos were out in the yard. There were boilers that didn't always work in the classrooms. The staff wore wellies, etc., etc. And only one child of that 48 got through to a high school. So that was different. And the headmistress lived in a broom cupboard. So that was my starter for 10. And then when I went on to teach at Berry Grammar School, um, there were some wonderful teachers there. And I think I told you that there was a hierarchy amongst staff there. The staff room was quite large and had a coal fire. But all the older unmarried ladies sat near the fire because you, back in the day, you couldn't be married and a teacher, which is extraordinary. So we knew our place and we sat on the windowsills, which were quite chilly. And the Miss people all sat near the fire. But there were some wonderful people. My head of department was amazing. She was an Oxford graduate from Bolton, Lancashire, but she said Oxford had taught her how to write a sentence, and that left a lasting impression on me. I wasn't sure I could. <laughs> well, to, speaking of that, actually, women in education, I know you, you've spent quite a lot of time write, writing observations mm -hmm. on your life, both inside and outside of work, and you, do, you have been writing things about what it was like for women in education, because you, you talk about the fact that they, they really had to fight for education themselves and you sort of touched on that a little bit but, but what was it like for you coming through in that time then? Um, I don't say we had to fight but it wasn't normal to go on to university particularly. Mm -hmm. uh, back in those days uh, in fact there was no system 
of applying to university. When I was teaching at Berry Grammar School, the head teacher allowed me to become head of sixth form after only two years in the school, which was a great honour. And I introduced the very first UCA or UCAS, or whatever you like to call it, system of applying to universities. And it was an interesting school because it was near Manchester and there were a great many very clever Jewish girls I had, which was an interesting experience. But um, when I was at school myself, I think only two out of my sixth form went on to university. Masses went to colleges, which now, of course, would be called universities, or into nursing or to office jobs. And there was no automatic assumption and there was no automatic financial support. Um, so th things were very different. Mm. And you, I mean, I suppose most of us, a lot of us who, who have encountered you uh, throughout our, our time mm. in schooling will know you for teaching languages. When mm. was it you decided that that was the route you were going to go and how, how easy was it to do that? I, I was tolerably good at school at things and could have chosen to do science. My father would have liked me to be a pharmacist, I think. But I had a very good French teacher. I loved languages. I enjoy communication. I still enjoy communication. As you know, I teach English to students who've come over to live in the Isle of Man who don't have English. And there is something different. I think when you speak French, you adopt a different personality. I find myself waving my hands in the air and, <laughs> you know, shrugging my shoulders in the Gallic shrug and so on. So I think it's rather nice and it opens up another realm of literature, philosophy, art, everything. It really does, because I, I remember that vividly from mm. school. I remember mm. sort of sitting and you, you, you sitting us in a class and pulling the blinds down and just watching French films. Mm. And I just thought that was marvellous because yes, they were so different. Yes, your year was incredible. I, I managed to record about 100 and odd French films from late night television. And I had my little rotor and my register and people borrowed them. And I think that was a good way of learning. Mm -hmm. and, and like you said, it's the art and culture as well. It was so very different to what we were used to. Yes. Um, Tell me then about the very first lesson you prepared, because you vividly remember this, don't you? I do remember this. I spent the entire day writing out in full the lesson I was going to give these eight to ten-year-old children in a downtown school. And I went to the classroom, having said good morning to Miss White, who was this battle axe living in a broom cupboard. And she sat at the back of the lesson, and I started, and I finished within five minutes. <laughs> How and long was the lesson supposed to be? About, well, a lot longer than that. But I don't know, I would think 40 minutes at least. And Miss White piped up from the back, very good, dear, but I don't think they've understood a word or taken a word of that in. I suggest you start again. <laughs> so that was a baptism of fire. I had no idea about teaching at the time. But it was an interesting experience. How long do you think it took you to get to a point where you thought, you know what, I've got it now. I, I, I can do this. Yes. I think it's always good to be a little bit psyched up before you teach. I think teaching is a sort of acting, really, because you prepare something, you hope you'll deliver it properly, and you hope it'll be received properly. I probably speak too quickly. I probably used to speak too quickly. I may have expected too much of people, but, you know, it is a wonderful thing when you feel you have taught somebody. Some of my best results, one year I had very, very good results, but the best result of all was a girl who managed to fail everything else but got a C for her French when, you know, E was the still a pass. And that, that thrilled me, that sort of thing. It's not just the bright people, though I do enjoy working with them. Well, we will be hearing many more of Dillis Watson's memories over the course of the next mm. hour. If you have any questions for her, you can text us, 166177, or you can email studio at manxradio.com. But part of the joy of this programme is that we get to share music with our guests as well. And so uh, some of the pieces of music that you have chosen, I have to admit, I did not know previously. Mm. Um, this first one, I can't, I'm going to try and pronounce his name. Is it Sheku Kane Mason? Yes.
Okay, so tell us about this piece of music. Why have you chosen it? What does it mean to you? Well, Sheku, by the way, is an amazing boy, a young man from an amazing family. There are seven of them, and they are all brilliant musically. They are really international stars. Um, I played the cello briefly when I was at Cambridge and only found out latterly that the person who taught me, an Arnold Ashby from Mere Hall, um, Saffron Walden, was in quite a, a well-known musician in his day and went on to become quite famous. Um, I did a little bit more cello playing on the island, and then sadly my tutor died. But I did play in Balakameen Junior High School Orchestra, and I've always quite liked uh, the sound of the cello. Um, when I was at school, in fact, there was a girl who used to play the cello in assemblies called Mavis Bennion, whom I remember to this day. And as we sat cross-legged on the floor, it used to make us tingle, our bottoms tingled, because of the, the, the vibrations of the cello. Um, uh, then... Um, Sheku Mason, I first came across when he won the BBC Musician title. And he's been coming over to the Air and Arts Centre, which is a wonderful institution. I was a founder member of that. And he came over this year, and I was privileged to have a front row seat. I could have touched him very nearly. The music was simply wonderful. Most people now know him because he was at Prince Harry and Meghan's wedding and played beautifully there. So he's come into prominence and is now, you know, top of classics and things. And when you hear this piece again, does it remind you of those feelings that you experienced the vibrations? Well, this is about Pablo Casals is the link here. Um, when I was at university, a little one-eyed Catalan man uh, wanted to teach Catalan to somebody. And I was the only person who turned up, but I dutifully sat there. And in my filing cabinet at home, I have 20 lessons of Catalan. And he lived in Catalonia and was a very famous cellist, Pablo Casals. And this Song of the Birds is a beautiful rendition by Sheikh Rukana Mason, the one that Pablo Casals used to play. Absolutely beautiful, and it genuinely does sound like the song of the birds. That was Sheikh Okanemes, and it's the first choice of music for my studio guest this afternoon, uh, Dillis Watson. If you would like to send any messages uh, or any memories of Dillis as, as your teacher, or just in life in general, because she has met and uh, and worked with and and so many people across the Isle of Man and also further afield as well, then you can text one double six one double seven and email studio at manxradio.com. We'll be back with more music and memories after the break, but it's now. 22 minutes past two. One Dental Clinic, sponsors of Women Today, offer convenient appointment times in the heart of Douglas so you can fit your dental care into your working day. You are listening to Women Today, but we're on the Conister Rock this afternoon uh, with one Dillis Watson. And I'm just going to read something to you here, Dillis. Uh, this is from someone you know very well, Susan Tumman. She says, Dillis has been a constant source of support and friendship since my school days over 20 years ago. As an educator, she was and still is hugely energetic and supportive 
Edith and her joie de vivre is unrivaled. She goes on to say quite a lot, so I'm just going to pull out some little little notes here. Dillis cared about and respected us as pupils, and she wanted us all to succeed. She's one of a kind who can never be missed with her colourful array of boho clothing, sing-song voice, and her affectionate French names she had for us all. Uh, she, As I said, she has sent a lovely note, especially for you, so I'll pass that over to you. Uh, but just one of your students, and she, she goes on to talk about the fact that you also gave her son George his first taster of the French language at a mere four weeks old I when she indeed, came to yes. visit. And you know what? That's something to note, isn't it? Because as we mentioned earlier, you've, you've been teaching since 1955. And for the person who texted in to say, are you talking to Mrs. Watson who taught French at Ballet? Yes, we absolutely are this afternoon. Um, you will have seen your students not only grow up, but obviously then go on to have children of their own. And you are still now teaching and uh, working in, in schools over here. So you are now then teaching their offspring. What is that like? <laughs> Frightening. The other day or a couple of years ago, I met the grandfather of somebody that I'd taught and I thought this really is silly. And when I was teaching at Balakamin, they started putting uh, war pictures up all around the foyer. And when I still had my ration book and remembered everything about the war, this was a little bit of a shock to me. Uh, to, and I felt it was time to move out. I thought at the time that I would then be just sitting and holidaying, perhaps sitting and watching television. And I was very envious of people like Wendy McDowell, with whom I'd worked. She and I were the only women on the staff at one stage. Because Wendy immediately went into her big music mode, and she's absolutely wonderful. And I was delighted when I found, A, that I had supply work at Balakameen, and B, when they asked me to do some EAL, or TEFL teaching, with children from other countries. And I have been doing that for over 20 years now, and it is hugely rewarding. It, I'm sure it is, and it's certainly not something I'm sure you're not about. And it to broadens your horizon now. too, because mm. you learn a lot about the countries. You focus on the languages, and there was a time when I could do a little bit of Portuguese, and a time when I could do a little bit of this, that, and the other. We're now in the Asian languages, and I'm not as good at that. But with a dictionary and standing on your head for a halfpenny, you can work wonders. What a fantastic image! Uh, you <laughs> also just mentioned the war then as well, and obviously the early part of your childhood mm. was actually mm -hmm. during the war. Mm. And we were chatting yesterday, and you mentioned um, that you have found yourself over the years reflecting on what it must have been like uh, for those who sort of lived through the war and you you, you conjured up this image of uh, the notion of the people standing on platforms waving off their loved ones and, and how you had a moment when you just thought what that must have been like for them. Yes, I even managed, I thought back about my parents and what difficult times they must have had. Mother had to make do and mend, we had reconstituted egg. Everybody of my age will know all this sort of stuff. It, things were hard, we went and picked rose hips, we went and picked blackberries. Um, you, you had to make do and mend. My father's clothes were turned into uh, a skirt for me, his trousers turned into a skirt and so we were relatively deprived, I suppose. Um, but going back to what you were asking, which I've almost forgotten, it was... Uh, Just yeah, the changes, the war, yeah. yes. Because when I was older, I understood my parents. When I was older, I understood adults. When I saw all these films, The Brief Encounters and everything, I understood emotions, which I didn't understand as a child. And um, one of my boyfriends moved to live in another part of England, and I spent a lot of time at New Street Station in Birmingham saying goodbye. And I thought of the awful goodbyes of the people who actually had to go away to war and maybe never came back. Mm -hmm. And funnily enough, Victoria Wood is the sister of Penny Wood, whom I taught at Berry Grammar School, and she did this wonderful work on a, a wartime housewife, and that brought back memories too. It was just an, an incredible period that's hard for other people to comprehend. 
Do you think that's where, because I noticed as well in your notes that you, you had written that your motto is grind on. Do yeah. you think that's partly where that might have come I from? I think so. You just, you know, and I think I'm very lucky still to be alive and, you know, finding things to enjoy. Mm-hmm. But I think grinding on, sometimes, you know, you get up, so you get down, so that's normal. And also sort of reflecting on that, I suppose, and what, how different it is for children mm. nowadays. Mm. Um, there is that sort of age-old phrase, isn't there? You don't know how good you've got it. And, mm. and I, I wonder, do you think that children nowadays have actually got it good? Or do you think because things are so much easier for them, there's all the convenience and everything, that actually that makes it more difficult it's for them? It's a bit of both, I think. Um, looking back, I used to give a lecture at school. I did a film, in fact, in school about the war and the fact we had know this, know that, know the other, know the other. Incredible amount of things that they take for granted yesterday's um, luxuries become today's necessities and it's amazing but on the other hand everybody has it so good now in some ways but equally they have a lot of choices and life is not secure there's no guarantee they'll get a gold pocket watch at the end of their working time they have to be adaptable when I was at Balakameen we introduced many things including the higher education conference and you realized that people had to be adaptable and learn to move from one job to another and acquire broad skills yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And one of one of the other things that you absolutely love, and was mentioned a little bit in that that quote quote from Sue Tumman there, is your singing and choral singing. So we're going to bring in the next piece of music now because it's the first introduction of, of your love of that mm-hmm. that particular style. And it's uh, a work by Foray. So first of all, tell us when did you first get involved in choral singing? Oh, way back in 1979. It was just after my father had died, and I was feeling particularly soulful. And Alan Pickard set up the Isle of Man Teachers Choir, and I was a founder member. And it was a wonderful experience. I suppose sportsmen get the same feeling. When people get together to enjoy doing something, and there's a sort of consensus of adults, if you like, uh, there's a wonderful moment when you feel an elation, I think. And Alan Pickard was my first hero, absolute hero, totally charismatic, wonderful man, gave so much of himself despite his diabetes and his eyesight and everything else. And I used to go home from Balakameen, whacked, having worked and marked and everything else, go to a teacher's choir. And the relaxation that this singing together produced was fantastic. And I'm also chairman of the Isle of Man Manx Festival Chorus. And um, they are coming up to 50 years celebration. The uh, teacher's choir is coming up to 40 years celebration. And we're having um, big dinners and events and so on. And there is a magic about people producing this sort of music. We get choirs coming over from England to join us for our um, Manx Festival Chorus and that's lovely to meet people who sing in other choirs and their experiences. It's meant a great deal to me, it really has. So how difficult was it to choose uh, pieces then? Because you've chosen in Paradise and why have you chosen that? I just think it is beautiful music. It sends me. Again, another beautiful choice from my studio guest this afternoon, Dillis Watson. That is Foray in Paradisum, a beautiful piece of music. Um, we would, I read a little uh, sort of, I suppose, a, a tribute in a way, I suppose, from Sue Tumman to you a little bit earlier, and you were just commenting on the fact that actually she's due to be 40. 
Which T- today, know? today, today. Is she actually her 40th today? And she's away with a house down in the south of England with her having a rave, no doubt. And she's <laughs> a wonderful girl. And I happen to have been writing something about her to her today, which is extraordinary. Well, happy birthday, Sue. Yes. And congratulations to you. I have another little bit here. This is from Jenny Wheeler, Walker that was. Mm. Uh, she says, uh, she inspired and motivated me to be the best I can be, to work hard and to aim for success, to have fun trying and to look after and support those around you as you do it together. These are values that I live by still today. She also goes on to mention something uh, called Young Enterprise, which I remember very well mm. indeed. And it brings in to the conversation the time uh, when you were at Balakameen, head of sixth form. Mm. And your time there was really quite progressive, wasn't it? And we, we were talking about this yesterday. Mm. And the term pioneering came in because actually you, you really did transform that place, mm. didn't you? It was very, very difficult. Um, somebody who shall be nameless called Balakameen Junior High School Lilliputsville, which we very much resented. And there was a huge fear on the part of the Education Authority that Balakameen could become a sink school to St Ninians if there were two parallel comprehensive schools. So Ian Masterton, Gareth Jones, Vida Wilson and I, we all had to work extremely hard to promote the school. We produced the very first sixth form uh, prospectus that had ever been on the island. First bit desktop publishing, if you like. And that was very important. And we did so much pioneering work, it's just not true. Ian could be difficult, but equally he was a hard worker, a very, very hard worker. He'd get his hands dirty. And we came up with all sorts of schemes. We, we pioneered anything and everything. Uh, pushed Young Enterprise to a high level. We had five companies at a time and that taught people a great deal in the way of presentations which must come in useful later on and I remember Jenny very well because I nominated her for a scholarship to America which she got and she went to America she taught her company how to sew ties and when we went to Ireland for an exhibition where they won an award she had us all still sewing on the train which I thought was pretty good going (laughs) so that was nice of Jenny. Um, we worked very hard on public speaking too, we used to win that. We were great winners and um, I introduced things like the Memorial Walk which is still done at Balakameen and that was in memory of my former colleague Vida Wilson who died at 53 which is far too young of breast cancer and that's something that marked me a little bit. But I'm so pleased that's still going on. It's wonderful. And it, it raises is. money for charity. And they're doing fabulous things. And it does bring to mind the fact that, mm. uh, of course, yesterday were, was A-level results day. Mm. When that day comes round again, do you, do you feel a little sort oh, of absolutely. fizz of excitement? I get very excited. I can't help it. Because all the years that I was at Balakameen, the summer holidays didn't exist. I had a fortnight and then we were back at school. And in former times, it was harder to get into university. I think they've expanded the university so much that there are spaces more easily available. But at the time, we had to fight for people. Mm-hmm. I remember people like you know Tracy Bell, who's now one of the island's top dentists, won awards and all the rest of it. And you know, I remember sitting in the room with Ian Masterton while we sort of pleaded her case. And I've had a message in as well from someone you know very well, Graham, who says, during a week when A-level results are the theme, it reminds me how a certain secondary school teacher had to cajole her son into knuckling down to study. What was it like for them with having you as a teacher? Did you feel like you were also sort of teaching them? I'm enthusiastic to a ridiculous point. I'm a bit of a nag. And I had to keep (laughs) saying to Graham, who quite enjoyed his social life, as people do in the sixth, that their social life could bloom again in June. But they were a wonderful lot. They really were pioneers. And um, they mean such a lot to me and they were a good lot. They did very well for me. And you have, as I mentioned at the top of the show, continued to stay in touch with as many as oh, you can. And they've become friends my now. Friends, yeah. 
Is is uh, okay? Then I'm going to come back to the what I said at the top of the show when I said uh, sometimes I don't know whether if there is a point when you when it becomes you don't have to call your teacher Miss or Sir. Well, heavens, anymore. I don't mind in the least. No. So it's not that was then, and this is now. Yeah. Well said. Uh, well, we are going to be speaking more to Dennis over the next twenty minutes. So uh, if you have any messages, one double six one double seven, or email studio at manxradio.com. Uh, we'll be back after the break. It is now twenty minutes to three. Abbey Dental, sponsors of Women Today, for all aspects of today's dental care. Highly recommended throughout the Isle of Man. It is Women Today on the Conister Rock this afternoon, just coming up to 17 minutes to three. Uh, I am joined by Dillis Watson, uh, former head teacher of Balakameen, head of sixth form of Balakameen. I nearly promoted Elevated you there. Elevated me to the peerage. Elevated yes. you, exactly. Uh, but another thing that you're very much interested in is art. And I have to say, when I popped round yesterday to see you, I love going in your home because it is full of wonders and it, it, the walls are filled with fantastic works and there's objets d'art all over the place and, and there, there are several works of art in particular by an artist who is something of an inspiration and a very good friend to you, aren't there? Norman Sale really was a very good friend. He was an amazing man. He looked a little bit like Ronnie Corbett, was very, very funny but deeply soulful at the same time. I first met him way back when I think uh, I was between babies, I think, back in the 1960s. And I went to painting for pleasure classes and I did some wild work with oil on a huge seven by something board and so on. And he helped me with that and we became good friends. And back in those days, we had dinner parties and we used to dress up posh in our long dresses and everything. And I had as many as... Uh, seven couples sitting round my table in our other house with a large table with an arga and all the rest of it uh, and that was very great fun and Norman was an amazing man he taught at the Isle of Man College he was a very talented artist but he deliberately put the students first and it wasn't until he retired that he actually started painting seriously and he had a picture bought by Prince Charles, he's been exhibited in London, he's won Singer and Turner prizes and so on and eventually was awarded the Tinwald Honour which I'm very happy about. Uh, he, he was such an amazing sort of man. Um, his only sorrow was that he didn't have somebody to pass on his genes to sadly because his son died. Mm. Well, it, you know, it's interesting talking about his art, though, because it, it, I mean, it is wonderful. We all love it. We're all very appreciative of Norman Sale. Um, going into your house, as I mentioned, there are some wonderful works all over the walls. So very brave of you then to invite sixth formers around on a, on a regular basis to have little soirees. Yes, up to 80 people at a time. That was good <laughs> fun. They spilled out into the garden. And down in the basement, we have a full-size snooker table, which we got from the old railway was originally there and we had it all done up partly to encourage the youngsters at my youngsters to stay home rather than going out gallivanting and uh, you know people had a wonderful time down there and they were very good actually every year was different Edward Kaneen washed up give him credit rating Edward is he the only one yes. of all of us that yes. came round he's yes. the only one that yes. washed up over 11 years yes. well done Edward yes. raising the bar there uh, just another bit to read out for you here Helen Taggart that was uh, says I have a huge amount of respect for Dillis Watson as an individual and educator and a fantastically flamboyant member of our community she has a real passion for teaching but also for developing children into creative hard working young adults and I now see her working in my children's school HBN with oodles of enthusiasm and a genuine interest 
interest in helping the children she works with. And she also calls you a style icon. What do you oh, mean oh, that? I'm not a style icon. <laughs> that is one thing I am definitely not. Though I used to wear little red shoes and I used to wear f- funny tights and things. I had some wonderful people coming through the school. Um, Jane Roskams, you won't know, but Jane Roskams was one of the first uh, students I had when was that? The mixed high school, because at one time it was just a boys' school in the mixed high school. And she was quite a character, but she's now a highly respected professor in the field of brains and things over in America. She's been over to the Isle of Man recently. And we have people like Martin Brideson, who was in touch with Steve Hawking before he died. That's the sort of calibre of student we produced at Balakameen, and I'm immensely proud of them. And of what Mrs Burnett is still doing to Balakameen today, my children have been through that school and have been very, very happy and well-taught and well-provided for. Those Watson, let's hear another piece of music. We're turning to Verdi now. Now, this is one piece I did already know. It is Verdi, Chorus of the Hebrew Slaves. Why have you chosen this one? I find it very moving, and I read somewhere that it is the anthem of the oppressed people who are longing for their homeland. And I think it is just one of those things that carries you along, basically. And I first heard it in somebody's car at a time when they were having problems and they had surround sound, and we didn't have any radio in our car. And I was totally moved by it. There are so many things we didn't have at one stage and I remember the first person who had a remote control we were absolutely amazed at the thought of controlling the television because when you first had television which you didn't get till the 1960s 50s uh, if people came in you were annoyed because your program was interrupted and lost forever so changes in technology huge and actually, that's something that you mentioned in your notes. You said that you actually get very frustrated by the changes in communication now. Mm. In what way? In the sense that I, I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody else of not actually speaking to people face to face. It's so easy to send an email into the ether. You don't even know half the time whether it's got there or not. Or to send other shorter messages. And it's much easier than committing yourself to a half hour conversation. But we're losing something. And I get quite worried when I see rooms full of people all clutching their smartphones and connecting with a piece of machinery rather than connecting with people. And I think it could be a little bit dangerous in some ways. I have to ask you, actually, because talking about your, your life and your career in education and the amount of time that you have dedicated to other people's lives, how easy has it been for you to actually remain, retain a focus on your own life and your own enjoyment of it? Well, flowers make me deliriously happy. Gardens make me deliriously happy. Growing things make me deliriously happy. I buy very cheap seeds from Deals or Woolworths every January, plant them, have them on my kitchen windowsill, thrilled to see little shoots. And when they come on, that's wonderful. I must have 60, 80 vases of flowers in my house at any one time. And colour makes me happy. And nature makes me happy. And seeing seals makes me happy. And herons and going down to the south and seeing the rocks and the sea. I wouldn't be anywhere else. And allegedly, you can summon seals. I do. I embarrass my husband terribly because I summon seals. I holler at them. I shout and I speak to them and say, come on, sealy wheelie, and lots of silly things (laughs) like that. And everybody knows they're very sociable animals, and they usually come. 
Oh, we've had another message in for you. This is from Nicola Yuknovich, now Holt. She says, uh, hello, Dillis. She is such a wonderful lady and teacher, very enthusiastic about so many things, not just teaching, but her garden too, as you just mentioned. She really made Balakameen back in the day. Happy memories from sixth form days because of her. She is fair, talented and a simply wonderful human being. And Nicola's so pretty. Isn't she, though? I know. Yeah, and she's a, a wonderful human being herself. It's very interesting for me to see how people develop. Mm-hmm. So many of the students I've taught have gone on to really high places and, you know, doing particularly well. And we've talked about so many things, and there's so many things we haven't been able to talk about. But another thing I noticed on your notes, which I just thought was wonderful, is the fact you'd written down uh, that you have plenty of capacity for further enjoyment. You show no signs of wanting to slow down at all, uh, despite the fact that I don't know if you want to say how old you are. We have, of course, mentioned that you've been around for some time and you're not wanting to slow down, are you? I'm an Edwardian. (laughs) That dates me. I was born in the reign of King Edward, so to speak. And she has a letter from the king, ladies and gentlemen. I have a letter from the king, which everybody got at the end of the war, (laughs) and it's buried in one of my cupboards because I'm a hoarder, not as bad as the hoarders who are seen on television, but pretty bad. I keep things just in case. There was something at the beginning you said that I wanted to answer. What did you? Yeah. Yes, you you obviously show no no signs of slowing down. So, do you want? What other things would you like to be doing? well, we go picnicking. My husband and I do a lot of picnicking. We've always gone camping. Camping has been my great love. I don't know about hotels. I don't go for hotels. And we've camped all over France, all over England. And now, instead of doing that, we stay happily in the Isle of Man and we picnic regularly and I record all my picnics. Malcolm loves images. He takes photographs all the time. I love words and we're really not very well suited, but we get on. <laughs> you get on fabulously well. Okay, so one final question for you then, Dillis Watson, because you have been teaching since 1955. You've seen so many changes, mm-hmm. as we said, over the years. What do you think makes a good teacher a great teacher? I think a genuine interest in the job. I've always felt when I was at Balakamine, there are people who do it because they've got to have a job. There are people who do it for the money. There are people who do a decent job. And there are people who are really enthusiastic, want to make things work and want to make things progress forward. Fabulous answer. We now have your final piece of music. Mm. Uh, It is Ava Cassidy, Fields of Gold. I'll ask you about it in a moment. But Mm. before I do, thank you so much for spending Mm. this hour Mm. with us. It has been wonderful. And we could have many more hours, as I'm Mm. sure everyone would have have noticed from this hour. But why did you choose this, this last piece of music? I think it was so tragic that she died so young. And she's done some wonderful variations on a theme of popular songs. She, She sings them so beautifully. You can't stop listening. Dillis Watson, do stay in touch with us. It's lovely to speak to you. And you will, of course, be able to go back to the portal and uh, watch back and listen back How to awful. all of this programme. How absolutely <laughs> terrible. I love talking to you, Christy, but I don't want to see it all. <laughs> Dental, sponsors of Women Today. For all aspects of today's dental care, highly recommended throughout the Isle of Man.